0: i <laughs> Boys and ghouls, welcome to a very special interview episode of Dads from the Crypt. Today, we're talking to Alan Katz and Gil Adler about Tales from the Crypt season three finale, Yellow. How are you, gentlemen?
1: Very well, thanks. Doing great, especially today. We just dropped episode five of of the other podcast that Dads from the Crypt is is connected to. The The title of which is... The uh, How Not to Make a Movie podcast, the making of Bordello of Blood, and episode five was the uh, endings are never pretty.
0: Mm-hmm. To the contrary, I thought it was a beautiful ending.
1: Well, thank you. It, yeah, you know that you yes. y- you 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 don't see the happy ending coming, and yet,
0: right? In, in retrospect, is. um. But today we're talking about my personal favorite Tales to the Crypt episode. Whenever someone, that's a common question you get when you are associated with when with reviewing every episode and things. Which is your favorite? There's, there's, I like a lot of them. They're they're like children. You don't you don't want to discount one, but my go-to answer is always it's yellow.
1: True. It's true.
0: So again, like I, I was saying earlier, it's always an honor to talk to people who worked on Tales. Um, It's you know, a show I'm obviously very passionate about, and a lot of people are passionate about. It, so we always feel honored and excited to talk to people who were there working on it part of the creation so again if you listen to alan's podcast about the making of bordeaux of blood we already know kind of how you guys came together and came to work on uh, uh tells the, the show so we're going to go directly to this episode but i think we want to kind of go to after you guys came on towards the while be- well, you're developing season three as we've talked about that was supposed to be the last season And at what point was yellow decided to be the season uh, series finale?
2: Well, I think we don't we never really knew, Uh, but we did have a little bit of a a weapon that Alan and I would 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 plant, which was uh, HBO would usually order 12, maybe 10. And the way to get them to order more would be to convince Bob Zemeckis to do one. Mm. And then I would go back to HBO and say, you know, if you, if you order a, an, an extra one, I, I can get Bob to do this. And invariably, they always said, really? Oh, yeah, we'll do that. So, so in the back of our heads, we were always plotting to figure out how can we get an extra episode and how can we best use Bob? And we both had a really very fluid and very great relationship with Bob. You know, He was just so easy to work with and so creative and so talented that it was, you know, I, I, I remember being in awe uh, of, of, of sitting in a room with him and just having a chat, let alone, you know, developing something that he might shoot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that, that was
1: very heady. That's, that was, uh, it's like the gauntlet being thrown down right in your face, right at, right at the start. It, the script preexisted. The yellow script that the Thompson brothers had written predated us. Oh okay. My memory is that, that they had talked about it a little bit, but the problem was that the script simply was not good enough. Zemeckis's vision, when he, once he was involved with Yellow, he wanted to to do. No, he wanted to pay homage to one of his favorite movies, Paths of Glory, which he became enamored of when he was at a film student at USC. And Paths of Glory is Kubrick, World War One, stars Kirk Douglas and. In order to make the, the vision work for for Bob, we had to have Kirk. The problem was the script the Thomas brothers wrote was it wasn't very good. It was it was unsubtle, shall we say. You know, it, it's it's a father with a sensitive son, and they couldn't help but go right at it. And because that their script just went right at it, it just felt it just felt melodramatic and ham handed and it just wasn't good enough. And, and we couldn't, Bob did not even want to send it over to, uh, I forget who represented, uh, Kirk at the time, you know, whoever his agency was, didn't even want to send it over because it just, and so he turned to us, he turned to Gil and I and said, guys, can, can you fix this? You know, one of the things that, that Gil and I worked on a, above everything was you know, character. You know, and the characters had to ring true. Mm-hmm. And if the character didn't ring true, then how could you write dialogue for a character that the whole, the whole place you got to get to? And, and you know, when, when, when Gil and I would, would, would do the kabuki for each other and, and get up and, and perform for each other, at the end of the day, a character's voice would emerge. And when you, when you really do the magic right, You're not really writing per se. The writer at the keyboard is typing, but it's the character who's dictating. And if that's not where the dialogue and the thought thought process is coming from, you're doing it wrong. And you are imposing words upon the character that the character probably wouldn't say exactly or wouldn't say, period. And then you get characters that suddenly stop making sense or they, they don't feel as organic as, as they need to. Well, that was the problem with this father-son dynamic. It's a hokey setup to begin with. There's not much room for, for subtlety within the framework of the story unless you really try to put as much as you can underneath the character's skins.
2: That's what we did. Really no, no more, no less. So. And you know, that, holds, that holds true today, too. I mean, the more I look at material and, or, or, or decide what, if anything, I want to do, it always comes down to that. It always comes down to those characters and those relationships and the emotional integrity of those characters relating to each other. And so I think the one thing we sort of learn by doing, which holds, holds true even today, is just that, that if we don't concentrate on character, and if we don't concentrate on emotion and, and relationship, there's nothing there.
1: And it's the nuance and, and the subtlety that really gives you the, the opportunity to, to reveal big stuff.
2: You know? So what we really wanted to do was tell a story about a father and a son. And it just happened to be in a war setting in World War I. And it's happened to be that the father was a big mucky muck in the army and the son was not. But it really came down to when we when we thought about it was, you know, who are these two people? What do they mean to each other and what's their conflict and what's their inner emotional integrity to each other?
0: Right. I read the original comic that this is based off of and the comic focuses much more is from the, the father's perspective. Yeah. yeah. And the son just kind of comes in and out <clears throat> of the story. And it seems like you're supposed to be, cause again, given the time that it came out, you're supposed to be rooting for the father and you're supposed to be like, Oh Yeah. That father really sh- showed that kid how to how to get in line. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where the episode was flipped. So it's more from yeah, yeah. the lieutenants, the son, the son's perspective. So mm-hmm. uh, what was that always a flip dynamic, or was that something you try to kind of both ways to see what what kind of shook out?
2: I
1: I, I think Gil and I both having having hearts. It's it's hard not to see the the father as as a cold, stone cold son of a bitch. Mm-hmm. Especially
2: when you know it's going to be Kirk Douglas. <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: no. yeah, 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 yeah. And you know, it's part of the joy of, of of doing tales from the crypt is that you got to work with characters who were, yeah, who, who who were entirely unsympathetic, and that was the point of the exercise. And so, yeah, to to the episode is about, in a sense, the ultimate stone cold bitch as a parent. He's terrible.
0: He's, He's terrible, terrible, but again i'm curious again we're looking at three if we're looking at this at three different times yeah so again yeah. from the 50s when when the comic came out to then yeah. the early 90s when the show came out until now yeah. how many people watch that and who who they sympathize i mean it's one of those unknowables but one of those things we talk about in our episode about you know as time goes on I, i'm hoping it, it, much more people empathize with the son character but you have to know there's people out there who are empathizing with the father
1: yeah, yeah. I the intention of the comic was was that the father got the son to be, you know, to, to show a little backbone for once.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Even though he was being deceived. Going back to Zemeckis, or actually even before that, there's a rumor I saw, not a rumor, but a blurb I saw. You never know if you can trust these or not. That Steven Spielberg was originally offered to direct. Was that ever true?
2: I don't remember that. Do you, Alan? No, I it was never it was always Bob. It was always Bob because okay. it was always had to do with paths of glory. Yeah.
0: Okay. And, and I was always, I, I'm just following to, up on like IMDB trivia stuff to see whether yeah. it's no, and it oh, things that, true.
2: And it also had to do with, you know, this idea that, you know, we wanted to get an extra episode out of HBO. Mm-hmm. And the way to do that was for us to be able to go back and say, you know, we have all of our slots filled, but if you gave me one more, you know, we've been having conversations with Bob and he would do it. So Gil, the, the more, as I remember it, this was something that had been
1: thought about, but it wasn't going to happen because the script wasn't yeah. there. Yeah. And in order to make, you know, there was the possibility for something really great here. But if the script didn't get fixed, Bob was never going to do the episode. Right. So okay. it was a great idea, but it, would, it hinged entirely on getting Kirk Douglas. Yeah. yeah. If well, we did also, not get Kirk Douglas, it was not going to happen. It so, was literally that.
0: Well, also, at one point, this was going to be spun off into the two fist, Two-Fisted Tales. Is that true? Or is it always going to be a crypt episode?
1: It's possible that the reason that Yellow was in the pile of scripts for us to look at was because it had been done or thought of as a, for, a, for one of the Two-Fisted Tales. And it didn't get done because probably the script wasn't good enough to get Kirk Douglas. Mm-hmm. So that could have been where it all originated. Got it. One of our little side assignments that first year at Crypt, we, we did this at the A1 Globe. Uh, they put out three episodes of of, a, of that show, Two Fisted Tales, but they didn't have a wraparound, and so we were tasked with creating a wraparound character and a wraparound so, so that they could shoot this. And so we came up with this this crazy lunatic character that that Bill Sadler played. Yes. This l- lunatic, this, this guy with, with the worst case of PTSD in the entire world in a wheelchair. And, and his whole thing was like, his, it was like a, like a dick measuring contest where he was always, you know, you think whatever happened to, to, to you was bad. What happened in this guy's story is bad. This happened to me. And this was a thousand times worse. Cause this guy, when he fired at me, he had a howitzer right in my face. That was whole. That's his whole mentality. And Bill, Bill was just hilarious. And Bob directed the wraparounds. Oh really? Oh and 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 watching you know Bob because we had a, we had a lot of fun creating you know, writing the dialogue. and Bill Sadler just inhabited the character and and, and then he would riff and Bob would riff and, and Joel was there and, and Joel would riff. I forget yeah there, there was one of the, the the things that that character said appealed to Joel so much he had it he had us put it on a, on a poster. I forget what it was, but it, it just tickled Joel so much that he, yeah, he had to have it. I don't know where he hung it up.
0: And then why did that, do you know why that show never came?
1: It aired what? on Fox and and uh,
0: yeah. I guess. Yeah, just nothing.
1: Johnny, was it? Uh, no, uh, not Johnny Depp. Brad uh, Pitt. Brad Pitt is in one of the episodes. Okay. A very young Brad Pitt. Yeah.
0: Okay, and then uh, so moving on to the cast, so obviously you got Kirk, and then was it his idea to bring his son along did that hap- how did that happen?
2: I think he wanted to he p- play with his son and, and, yeah. and have him in and you know against his his character, and so that was a conversation that you know Bob and Kirk had, and you know we said, yeah, I mean, if that works, fine. We fine uh, we it,
1: it was how we were going to get Kirk. It was uh, okay, he liked the script now, if you'll do this. And actually, it wasn't bad for us.
2: No, I
0: think I. To, again, I'm, as a fan, that just adds so much more to it. It's, I think, my probably the, the two best performances entails just of them playing off of each other, and just fe- you can just feel that relationship organically there.
1: I think Bob Z deserves a lot of credit for, for drawing mm. the performances out of, especially the younger Eric. Mm-hmm. I, you know. Eric was not a not much of an actor, and he was rather nervous and and my impression from Kirk's now, having been a father, and, and this will be rather you know, apropos of of the podcast, looking at Kirk as a father now, from all this perspective of time, he, you know Eric was an unhappy. Person, mm-hmm. uh, they had a problematic father-son relationship, and he was, I think, desperate to to do anything to to give his son a positive experience in this world that might set him on a better track than he was on. It was a uh, it was a real a very noble request. How could you say no? And yeah, there was the, there was a lot of great organic stuff in the performance, but I I I remember Bob having to tone Eric down mm, yeah. a fair amount and in Bob's way.
2: Right.
1: And you know one thing about Bob is well, the ultimate collaborator. Ain't nobody better at the collaborative process than Bob Z. And I don't remember exactly how he did it, but he got, you see the performances that are there on the screen that is part of bob z's craft
0: right so one more question about bob z sure. so again as a child of the 80s i watched back to the future movies a lot so what did he what does he have a big thing about being called yellow or chicken because it seems to be a running theme in his uh in his movies so back to future two and sure. three half the plot is because marty doesn't like being called yellow any insight on that yeah. or is that just <laughs> no, a no idea?
1: I think you've stumbled on a what's called a leitmotif.
0: Mm, okay.
1: Someone now can write a paper on this.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. And then rounding out the cast, you got Dan Aykroyd and Lance Henriksen, who are, you know, they could star in their own episode. I mean, Lance Henriksen does star in his own episode. You know, um, getting Aykroyd was so
1: exciting because when I was in, you know, high, my last year, high school and then college, SNL. Mm-hmm. The, the original original cast of SNL they were gods. dan Aykroyd. whoa, whoa, getting that—that that was a god.
0: And to and to get him to do like a completely non-comedic straight uh, straight face as he could possibly make it.
2: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's like, that was that was part, one of the tools of, of of Crip because we would we would be able to attract you know comedic actors to play stri- straight parts and straight yes. actors to play comedic parts. It was a five-day shoot. Five days of their life in town. You know how difficult could it be? And then they would say, "Oh, wow, this will be fun." And they would. Do and it. the money, and the money we were paying. Oh. Them.
0: Yeah. So that leads me to my next question: Where was it all shot? Well, at least the big battle scenes.
2: Oh well, you know we went as as they did in World War One, uh, to Eastern Europe, and then came back and dug some trenches in Simi Valley.
0: <laughs>
2: that was a uh, you know, once. Once we got Kirk and once we committed to it and,
1: you know, there was the point somewhere in the middle of the season when HBO changed its mind and and it wasn't going to be the last episode. It was going to be, you know, there were going to be more. Mm -hmm. And so there was, you know, the whole mood heading into it was, yeah, this was a launching pad into bigger and better. Uh and so there was a willingness to go bigger and bigger and hey, whatever Bob wanted. Because it was Bob. Right. And you know, from from having just stepped into this, and we talk about this in the podcast, you know, we went from zero to never mind, 60, 70, 80, 90. Suddenly, you know, we were well, for me, certainly, Gil had had a, a body of work, I had not much. And suddenly, we're, we got a, a show on HBO that's continuing. We're working with Bob Zemeckis. We got Kirk Douglas for Bob Zemeckis. Mm. And now we have turned Simi Valley into World War I France, <laughs> and bombs are going off. The experience is surreal. And I, and I can honestly say, I think I took more of it for granted than I should have. Yeah, I, I did not appreciate how remarkable it was.
2: Yeah, I mean, when we when we built those trenches and built the whole set and built the church, it was, it was pretty amazing. I mean, we we would try to go out there very often, and it was a bit of a schlep from our offices to go out there, but we always tried to get out there because we were so excited to see. Oh my God, what what are we doing now? Well, how big is this getting? And and how beautiful it was.
1: Greg outdid himself. Greg Melton. I mean, what a, yeah, what a plum assignment.
2: Well, I mean, it seems
0: like, you know, especially men of, the, of that generation, you know, they always want to go out play cowboys and Indians or or army guys. It seems like, you know, fantasies, boy fantasies coming to life.
1: On this episode, uh, Bob brought his DP in. Mm. Uh, on the next episode that that Bob did, the, the last episode, You Murderer, uh, Rick Boda was our DP and he used, uh, Bob used Rick and that was the first I think it was the first time that they worked together. And I think Bob used Rick a couple of times, didn't he? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was the beginning of of a, of a great relationship <laughs> for Rick Boda and uh, and Bob.
0: Was there any talk about kind of trying to repeat this as season finales go, of having like a double episode with a big name director, uh, kind of trying to reach the epic scale of Yellow in the future seasons?
2: Okay, not really, not because we always it. we went always went after big directors. I mean we had, oh, yeah. we had Frankenheimer and Billy Friedkin oh, yeah. and mm-hmm. you know, so and, and Walter Hill. Uh so we all and, and Donner. So we all we always you know had yeah. these you know rather rather substantial directors. That, that okay. was one of the
0: no. yeah, not not to disparage the other directors out. Yeah, I'm more meant like giving them the budget and the double time that you gave to yellow. Um it seemed like an interesting formula that you know would have been fun to have done for often. Never-
1: Whenever it was Zemeckis, there was a, a feeling of we could do a little bit more because it was Bob, you know, and yeah, I don't think anyone had, ever had, a, had an issue. We, I, I don't think it
2: was a, a penny wasted. I mean, every, and every season they wanted one from Bob and Bob would always say to us, well, guys, you know, it's really going to be up to you because I'm not going to do something that's done before mm-hmm. by me or anybody else on Tales. So you're going to have to come up with something that's going to make me feel like this is different. And for example, You Murderer came about, I think we were having lunch with Bob yeah. and we started talking to me. I remember him throwing out, Who's your favorite actor? And I think I said, Humphrey Bogart. And he said, Yeah, that, yeah I like Humphrey Bogart. And then we started chatting and, I, and we were talking about, Wouldn't it be mm-hmm. great if we could make a movie yeah. with Humphrey Bogart? And he said, And he looked at us both and he said, Well, we can. And I think we were both like, Huh? <laughs> the, the, the initial challenge on You Murderer
1: was, you know, what he wanted to do with the episode was he wanted to do a completely subjective camera show from the point of view of a dead guy. And that was the premise. And then it was, hey, what if the dead guy was played by Humphrey Bogart? Right. And what he wanted to do was, therefore, every time, you know, this it's single point of view. Every time it passed a reflective surface, we'd see Humphrey Bogart, which meant we were going to have to figure out some way to get into that little, we, were going to use, we ended up using 18 clips from Humphrey Bogart movies. We were going to have to figure out a story way in and a story way out. And the coolest thing always about working with Bob is that after, and there at lunch that day, after we threw down the challenge of a single camera show about, you know, from the point of view of a dead guy played by Humphrey Bogart, how are we going to do this, guys?
0: I mean, and that's just so forward thinking um, where now it's like completely standard that if you're cast on like a big movie, they're going to scan your face every way they can in case you can't finish the movie or for some reason, God forbid, something happens. They can, that's part of the contract is that they can like use bits of that to finish your performance.
1: I I think what what Bob was doing on the You Murderer episode was he was experimenting a little bit on what he was thinking about for Forrest Gump.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. I
1: think he was experimenting in a couple of ways.
0: So in yellow, given the, the length and the scope of this movie, what challenges did it, uh, that, that episode, what challenges did the came up while filming it?
2: Oh, nothing much, just time and money. <laughs> <laughs> Still, yeah, yeah, Even As it the, always does.
0: Even with that opening, that epic opening shot, that was like, oh, we've got this.
2: Yeah, it took a while to set that up. I think we spent the entire day doing that one shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, because it yes, took forever it to set it. And then it took forever to rehearse it and then to get one that or two that, you know, was, was usable and was good enough. But that was the that was the glory of it. I mean, we were so excited to be doing this, you know, mm-hmm. watching, and, watching it, watching yeah. Bob do that was as, as as one of his collaborators. And testing. of course, you know, I, I had worked with Kirk Douglas before. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. I, I made a, my first movie. I was teaching at Hunter College. And uh, I met Brian De Palma, who was teaching at Sarah Lawrence, and he was living in Manhattan as I was, but he didn't like going driving up to Sarah Lawrence twice a week. So we decided we would merge the classes, get permission from Hunter and get permission from Sarah Lawrence. And we teach the class in our in our homes. Right. So we did this for a year and we came up with a script. And these kids said, well, you've been saying all along, if you want to make a movie, make a movie. We now have a script. We want to make this movie. So we both gulped and we said, okay, well, and we raised $350,000 and he spoke to his friend, Kirk Douglas. He had made the fury already. Um, So he was a pretty big director as well. And so Kirk Douglas agreed to make this movie uh, called home movies that we sold to United artists. Um, And so here it is years later and I'm figuring, Oh, Kirk's going to remember me. (laughs) I go over to Kirk and I go, you know, I don't think I don't expect you to remember this, but this is not the first time we've worked together. And he looks me up and down like I'm a <laughs> crazy guy. And he goes, oh, yeah. When did we work before? And I, I, and I remind him about Brian De Palma, home movies, Sarah Lawrence. And he goes, oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know who you are. You got the call from Ken Kleinberg. Right now, Ken Kleinberg in those days, as was his uh, while we were doing Tales. Ken Kleinberg was his lawyer. And so we finished shooting the day on uh, on the campus of Sarah Lawrence because we're worried about unions. And I'm I'm living in the production office with no air conditioning, sleeping on a cot. We finish the day. I meet Brian in the in the in the office having a beer and the phone rings. And my assistant goes, It's for you. And I go, Who is it? And they go, Ken Kleinberg. And I'm going, Ken Kleinberg, that's, that's Kirk's lawyer. What, what? We just let him go. And we drove him back down to the Dorset hotel in Manhattan. And, and he seemed to have a good day. It was the first day of shooting. And I get on the phone and I'll never forget this. Um, Ken Kleinberg says, what did you do to my client? And I'm like, I'm like sweating. I'm like, I don't, I, 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 I thought he had a good time. I, I we treated him well. He had a good lunch. I mean, I, yeah, I, 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 I'm like, I don't know what to say. And he goes, well, you know, he put up $25,000 of your $350,000 and he just got back to his hotel room and he called me and he said, I want to put up (laughs) $50,000. So I said, oh, well, well, but we can't, you see, it's a limited partner. Ken Kleinman called me and, and he said, I think, you know, you haven't been doing this a long time. If I were you, I would, I would try to take your star's money when he calls specifically to ask to double his investment. And I, I, sat, I, I thought there for a second. I'm going, be, right, right, right. Okay, Ken, can I, can, I, can I call you back like in a day? Maybe two at the latest, but I'll definitely call you back. He goes, yeah, that's a good idea. And I had to go back to our other investors, mainly lawyers and accountants, and say to them, look, you got to take $25,000 less. I'm going to give you back your money because Kirk wants to put up another 25 and he's the star of the show and basically repeated what Ken Kleinberg told me. And so, you know, he doubled his investment. But you know, he you, had no recollection of meeting me, except when I mentioned my name, he said, Oh, wait a second, you're the guy that spoke to Ken Kleinberg. And I was like, Great, that's what he remembers me for.
0: Yeah, you don't it's pretty uh, rare that someone wants to give you more money. Yeah. A <laughs> um, couple more questions about the episode. So there's the quote uh, when uh, the lieutenant's giving his last words about cowards die many times before their deaths.
2: Uh, I, said if, we, I, I said we collaborated
1: with Shakespeare. We, we must have done it. If it wasn't in the comic book.
0: <clears throat> it was not uh, in the comic book.
2: Right. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't in the original script. That's, that's for damn sure. I, I told him, Alan, that we, because of Tales from the Crypt and working on Tales from the Crypt, we had really good access to talent, both dead and alive. Indeed. So we talked to Shakespeare, and he said, go, do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what, what, what was the quote again?
0: It was, it's from Julius Caesar, Act Two, Scene Two. Cowards die many times before their deaths. The valiants never taste of death but once.
1: There you go. It's perfect. Why? why?
0: No, it, it fits perfectly. It, What's well, also interesting that this is just a couple episodes, a handful of episodes behind Top Billing, which is another of my favorite episodes, which is all about Shakespeare and Hamlet.
1: Yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: That, that was uh, Todd Howard directed that one, which is, we have an interview with him. He's a great guy. Um, then I also wanted to ask, there's the flask that he has that at the very the very last shot. You see the flask, but you don't see what's engraved on it. And then at the, when he's shot and he's like laying down, you can see it says, let courage be thy name. And it's from his father. Right. Which is a great touch. And I just need to know, where is the flask right now? Because I, I need to find it.
1: Where? Oh, in a prop house somewhere, I
2: bet.
0: I have a list of Tales sticker props that I would pay well, good money that I don't have for.
2: I probably have a lot of them. I don't know if I have the flask, but I, I have some stuff in a warehouse in LA, which my wife keeps saying, you know, we got to empty it out. We got to get rid of it.
0: I would gladly <laughs> go through your storage unit for you in LA. <laughs>
2: you know, I have the, the false eye that Tom Cruise used in Valkyrie oh. in that little, little, little container it was in. I have that. But, I mean, there are a bunch of stuff I have in there, but I, I don't know if I have that flask. I don't know if I... Yeah,
0: it's just one of those great touches that, you know, Yeah, just really rounds it out. So what re- re- reception did you guys get when you uh, finished the episode?
2: Well, uh, HBO was happy. And more importantly for us, Bob was happy.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, as a matter of fact, it's funny. I, I, I have this... Which Bob oh, wow. wrote... Uh, it says, uh, "Dear Alan, thank you for all your help in a great script." Best regards, Bob. And it it came attached to a really lovely gift basket. I mean, just I, I think, yeah, it was it was it was lovely. I, you know, it was it was a lovely gesture on Bob's part. It uh, it felt really good.
2: Yeah, it really meant our made our day. Oh my God! Oh wow, that's, my God. that's actually really thoughtful that he did that. Yeah. Holy
1: yes, God! It it it. Well, you know, we had, we had done something for him and he, he appreciated the gesture. And, and as I said, he's the ultimate collaborator. He he understands the nature of collaboration and, and what, what we draw from each other creatively.
0: So I guess it, it's probably a different time. We don't get as much like instant reaction, but was there like a sense of anything from fans or from other producers or other people that worked on the show that like, wow, you guys really did something special here?
2: I think HBO uh, told us that. I think Bob was very pleased. And I think that was really what was important to us. You know, we I don't think we really listened a a lot to the outside world. We were so into getting the next episode ready and making sure. Because, you know, with with an anthological show, every week, um, every five days, the world changes. The characters change. The actors Mm -hmm. change. The sets change. Everything has changed. And so, you know, the part of the process of making the show was we always had two shows in prep. We always had one shooting and we had two in post. And so between the two of us, we were, we were you know, pr- pretty much mad guys, you know, running back and forth between writing, rewriting, shooting, making sure we can get our work done on the day and didn't cut. The
1: yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it's- right.
0: So if this, was the, though, if this was the last episode of the season, you didn't have any other shows to prep for. So no, we, but just we, we, were of- we were still cutting. We were still cutting. For- okay. Yeah. We were cutting.
1: Oh yeah, it you know there's the process of the post production process is really where an awful lot of of it happens. Mm-hmm. Editing really is part of the magic, and 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 one of the st- stories that did not make the cut of the podcast of the of the Bordello podcast is watching. Bob cut together that scene that we never shot where we suggest in Bordello of blood that, that there's a sexual relationship between Angie's character and and Erica's character. And we never shot any such thing. Bob cobbled that together from bits and pieces. And then he, all we had to do was at the Van Nuys airport. I think there was one pickup that that we owed for that. And, and it, it was just bodies, a body cross. Done, you didn't see faces, it was just uh, you know, a, a mid, mid-ring body cross, and that tied them together and made you think they were in the same place at the same time, and they weren't. <laughs> and watching Bob cobble that together, the idea of it in his head, having just seen the pieces, and I remember sitting in for a while watching him cut that together, and just the, the laugh. There was a there was a a cackle, a joyful cackle that was like he doing something that, yeah, really imagining something that did not exist.
0: At what point in the season did you did you get to notice that there would be a fourth season?
2: We never knew during the season. Part of the problem was we, you know, we would always take a warehouse because we didn't want to pay for studio space. And, you know, I would talk to the partners and, so, you know, you guys should really buy a warehouse because we'll use it for Tales from the Crypt. You guys are making movies all the time. Someone's going to use it. And if not, you can rent it out. But they wouldn't buy, you know, a studio. And I would go to HBO and I would say, can you give us a better uh, an earlier pickup? Only because I want to hold on to the warehouse that I have. Because once I let it go, Aaron Spelling was right behind us. And every year, Aaron Spelling would take over the warehouse. And so they would say, no, we don't know if we're going to pick it up yet. We're, we will not know for another six months. And so every year, we had to look for a new warehouse and then sort of design it for our working.
0: So it was after the season that you got the the go-ahead for the next always,
2: season? Always, always. I think yeah. there were strong intimations after the first season. I, I don't re- recall feeling panicked. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think we were panicked, but we they wouldn't let us keep the studio. That well, was the key. We would have to go look for a yeah. new one if, if indeed we did get picked up. Yeah,
1: so. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they put us up in offices though at at uh, at HBO in century yeah. City we had offices way mm-hmm. up uh, if, if HBO was on the 42nd floor we were on the 45th floor in an annex right next to the the top of the elevator shaft <laughs> and we shared these this little uh, these offices so you know they must have been anticipating something because we were supposed to be working you know we were looking for scripts we were writing and we shared space with with bob robert wool who was doing uh just starting another show for them about ba- a baseball character uh and so we, we we got to hang with with robert wool an awful lot which was cool robert wool starred in the one of the first episodes of uh, that uh, cat. the big that cat he's he's right. very mm. funny and he's he's got a. say uh, that's yeah.
0: great
1: he's really funny in it so it, it all felt so incredibly
2: cryptian. If I remember correctly, our offices had no windows. Yeah, no, no, there were no w- windows. No, no, so we no. Would take we were... the elevator up forty-five flights yeah. to walk into a closet.
0: Yeah, 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 yeah. It was. They figured the Crip guys don't need don't need windows.
2: That's what they figured. <laughs> Boy, they they just they, I don't know what
1: that space used to be used for, but but hey, you know they they were paying paying right. as it were for office right. space right. for and we us too. and we were working, so life was good
2: yeah
0: are there any other uh yellow related stories that you have to share
1: yeah at the time that we were doing yellow uh the nba finals were on Mm -hmm. and the bulls were playing and jordan was playing and bob big was big chicago guy big bulls fan and the reception out in simi valley was terrible and there had been some work had been done to try to get a better connection, so they they could get some decent reception of the basketball game into Bob's trailer. And and I remember for for a little while they 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 had it pretty good. I I, I do remember the some work being done to try to because we were we were deep into a uh, into a ravine in uh, you know in Simi Valley. It was really hard to get any kind of, of, of signal. Uh, another funny, uh, uh, Barry Josephson visited the set and, uh, Jack Rapke visited the set and, uh, you know, Rapke was, was Bob's agent. And of course being an agent, he always wanted to be on the phone, but his cell phone could get no connectivity, but Barry Josephson's cell phone could, and I remember Jack Rapke walking up to Barry, Barry Joseph and, and going, hey, Barry, can I use your cell phone? Can I use your cell phone? And Barry was so reluctant to hand over it, but it was Bob Z's agent. That's, that's, a, that's a bigger card than, 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 than Barry was back. And so he hands off the phone, his phone, and those big old clunky cell phones with batteries that lasted 10 seconds. And he, and he hands off his phone to Rapke, and Rapke goes off and starts making a call that never ends. Oh, God. Barry just watching Barry just die die because really he he wouldn't be able to make any calls a, a, after Rapke was done and that was hilarious.
0: Yeah, that's probably when they charge by the second.
1: Oh man! Oh, watching powerful people squirm <laughs> <swerve laughs> is always just over little dumb things. Is is oh it huge hilarity, huge hilarity.
0: Can I use your phone? It's I mean, bet Barry is
1: still haunted by those words.
0: Anything else we want to uh, throw in here before we wrap up? That's all I got. So Alan Gill, this is definitely an episode about, this is a podcast about fatherhood. This is yellow episode about fatherhood. Do you have any uh, dad advice you'd like to share?
2: Go for it, Gill. I think the most important thing is really one word and that's listen, Mm. listen, listen, you know, these, uh, You'll hear things you may not like, you may not understand, but you need to listen and, and then think about those things. Um, my son is you know, is an old guy now. I tell people he's older than me now. And uh, you know, we went through whatever we went through, but we've come out on the other side and you know we're good friends and we're family and we talk all the time. Uh, he's living in LA. I'm living in Vancouver, Canada. Uh, but you know, I think what got us through all of it is, is the, the fact that he would listen and I would listen. And then we would, you know, deal with what those differences might be.
0: I, li- I really like that. And I'm going to take it a step further. Listening isn't just hearing. It's also seeing and observing. Yeah. Um, I- I've talked on the show that my son has a speech delay. So he's very hard to understand. And he doesn't always express himself verbally. Mm-hmm. Um, he's seven years old. So he doesn't <laughs> have like the biggest vocabulary to begin with. Mm-hmm. So it's really about, you know trying to pick up the nonverbal and, you know, I, I just like, so that I'll just sit with him watch cartoons with him. And that's just, you know, being each other's presence and kind of feeling each other's vibes and, you yeah. know, being yeah. there. Um, so yeah, really good advice, Alan.
1: You know what, what Gil said, it, it's, that's an awful lot of parenting. It, it it's, it's listening and hearing, hearing what is being said because that's the thing that you really need to respond to. It's very easy to respond to the icing when really it's about the cake. Parenting is about the cake and that should
2: always be your concern. Never the icing. And the, and the listening can be very frustrating because oftentimes it's not what you want to hear, or it's not what you agree to in terms mm-hmm. of what, what's been spoken, but it's really important to hear and listen and then think about and react from that. And they are individual people. Hopefully, if you
1: create an environment that represents your values, then you will have a young person to parent whose values you can work with.
2: Well put. Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Easier said than done, unfortunately. Yes. Always a there's always a rub to it in there. Cool. and with that
0: okay great all right alan gill thank you so much for coming on the podcast uh where can people find you follow you etc uh,
2: i don't know <laughs> <laughs> well all right if there's, if you there's wanna...
0: anything you want to promote
2: not yet but not yet
0: fun. okay not yet uh, maybe soon well, we'll be sure to share it if and when alan
1: oh gosh a host of things uh well of course there's the the hell not to make a movie podcast and making a bordello of blood can't recommend it highly enough. I now Todd is, 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 all right. It, it, Todd's part of, of the, the the crew, but I, I just got a lovely email from Todd where he said, it, Todd it, it masters, act, right? Todd masters that he said it actually made him cry.
0: Oh,
1: whoa. Holy whoa. whoa, whoa. So, Hey, you know, it's, it's, I'm going to brag it, it's that good. It's, it's a very personal story about coming from the whole Tales from the Crypt creative team. It's a really personal story. And uh, man, you
2: wouldn't get close to the bone. We will we'll take you there. And Alan, so, and Alan just, just for those that don't know, if I wanted to go to see this podcast, how would I get there? Well, all right. You could go to this podcast. It is available on Spotify, uh,
1: Stitcher, uh, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere and everywhere that you would go to get your
2: podcasts. And what would I look it up as?
0: The, the How to Not Make a Movie podcast is also in the Dads from the Crypt feed. So if you're listening to this okay. podcast, you, sh- you will have it in your feed. Sorry about that. We Sorry differentiated that. Um, the art. So the Allens is the one with the white background with the red leathering. Ours is the black background with the green
2: leathering. And you can get to it by, Alan. isn't this true? By typing in how not to make dot com. Put a dash in between every word.
1: Yes, uh, yes, you you can you can it's that simple how not to make a will take you to the website or as I was saying before noise interrupted me we are now on every major podcasting platform that there is. We're we're at all of them. So we are available everywhere you 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 would possibly listen to a podcast, and we're available at the how not to make a movie website, how not to make a website. And I'll also plug while I'm at it. My uh, my atheism project podcast, which uh, I do with, with my friend Randy Lovejoy, who's a, a, a Presbyterian pastor, and of course I'm a, a a devout atheist, and we have some really amazing conversations. You should check that okay. out. Anyway,
0: okay. And Again, then, and then I appreciate
1: stuff that Gil and I are suddenly working on. And uh, hey, you you know there, one of the cool things about that podcast. About the the how not to make a movie podcast is that it it put a lot of us back in touch with each other. Gil and I, for instance, and you know, uh, it just doing the podcast rekindled, you know, the, the friendship and the creative relationship. And so, hey, can't promise anybody anything. It's a strange world, but you never know. The 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 two pals from the crypt guys could in the very near future, suddenly drop something on y'all that you really like. Just saying. It just happened.
0: All right. I'm looking forward to that.
2: And we're having a ball doing it too. Yeah.
1: More, more to the point. It's, it is such a pleasure to do.
0: Okay. Well, again, thank you guys for coming on. Really appreciate it. And we appreciate everyone for listening. We would always appreciate it if you would give us a rating and review on iTunes and a rating on Spotify. And with that, thank you for listening to Dads from the Crypt. Follow Dads from the Crypt on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Or I will follow you to the grave. <laughs> no, seriously,
2: you really should watch. But be careful what you ax for. You may get it. <laughs>